I love that introduction that I love to curse. I do. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Jen. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is May 31st, 2019. So I just celebrated a little bit over four years in May. Um, I come from a long line of alcoholics. I was born and raised in Queens, New York. I come from a family where it's really normal to give kids sips of alcohol at any time somebody has a drink in their hand. And so I took a lot of sips at a very young age. I was drunk the first time around eight. And I remember, I remember not getting sick. I remember the taste was weird. And I remember for the first time I felt like I was in the party rather than hiding from the party. Um, I remember my cousins and I would like get sodas like ginger ale or a Coke and like pretend we were drunk like the adults. But by eight, nine, ten, I was actually drunk with the adults. So I was like walking around, taking drinks, making, putting them all in a cup and I would just have my own little party. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. Pretty much all the men on his side of the family are alcoholics. Um, and it either, it was like, you're either an alcoholic or you're married to one, one or the other. Um, my mom, my mom was like pretty fed up, but wouldn't leave him. And as a result, there was like a lot of tension and hostility in the house all the time. She was pretty abusive. My dad was just a fall down drunk. Like we'd walk in the house, he'd be passed out on the ground. And my mom would just tell my sister, like, get her out of here. I was about three, four, five, whatever age. And we would just play outside and act like nothing ever happened. We would come in the house, we would hear the yelling and things breaking and the screaming and the crying. But when you walked in, it was like, what do you want to eat for dinner? It's like, I don't fucking know. What do you like? <laughs> what just happened in here? So childhood was really like hectic. It was really, it was abusive. It was in many different ways. I had a lot of trauma at a very young age. And so having those drinks early on really took the edge off immediately. Like immediately it took the edge off. By high school, I was, already selling drugs. I was doing coke, drinking, smoking weed on the weekends. Um, I was helping friends sell drugs. I was going on runs to like Jersey and you know nearby states to pick up drugs. I was, I was that girl. I was like everybody's like ride or die. Um, it was funny to me. It was a game because I didn't see how serious it was at the time. It, it just felt like this is what everybody does in the neighborhood. Everybody in the neighborhood, you're either the drug dealer or the drug dealer's girlfriend, one or the other. And I was the drug dealer's girlfriend. So that's, that my teens were pretty much like partying in the city, living in Queens and selling with my guy friends. By the time I was in my 20s, I was working as a hairstylist, making a lot of money. And it was one of those careers where you work hard, you play hard. You know, I, I would work until sometimes 11 o'clock at night on clients, go out, go out afterwards and go home, maybe a power nap, sleep for an hour, go back to work the next day and be just sh shaking at my stylist chair doing hair. Um, I was making a lot of money, so I felt like I'm successful, like I'm doing it, like I'm doing the thing. I'm making a ton of money, I bought an apartment. I was like, I was living it. I was living it and not realizing how much I was drinking or using. I would barely eat. I was super, super skinny. Um, no, no one I hung out with was sober though. So I, I did the comparison thing. I did a lot of like, well, I'm not like my dad. I don't fall down. I can wear four inch heels and not fall down. I'm good. You're the one that's wrong. Um, 
I graduated from college. I'm good. I'm successful. I'm, I'm good. You're, you couldn't graduate high school or college. You're the one that fucked up, not me. Um, in my 20s, my, I had a successful career. I was like meeting celebrities, traveling with clients, destination weddings, the whole nine. So I thought I got it. I got everything under control. But emotionally, I couldn't handle anything in life. Emotionally, everything was a moment to just collapse and break down. I couldn't go to the market or pay a bill or book my own clients without just feeling like I'm gonna have a nervous fucking breakdown right now. Like I'm just, I was like always on the brink of just losing it. And I became this like emotional leech to a lot of people in my life. Uh, I would call and vent and cry and just like, pour out everything that I was dealing with and never just stop and say like, hey, how are you doing? Like, nothing like that. Um, by that point, I was drinking every day. I was doing a lot of coke. I was doing a lot of heroin. I was doing a lot of pills. Um, I remember my sister came home one day and she was really strung out and said to my parents like, hey, I need money. I need, I need to go to rehab. And that was like a signal to me, oh, I, if you're going to rehab for heroin, I have to stop do, doing it because then I'm going to fall into that line. I'm going to you know, follow your lead. And I stopped. I had the shakes. I got sick the whole nine. But I was able to stop. And because of that, I thought, I don't have a problem. I don't, if I can stop doing heroin after I, as much as I've been doing for a month, I'm good. I'm still good. You're in rehab. I'm not. I'm good. I'm the lucky one. So it kind of, it perpetuated this belief in my head that I created where I am one, untouchable, two, I don't have a problem, and three, everybody else is a problem but me. And I really lived that out up until I got sober, and even probably then some. Um, I, my 20s, like I said, it was a lot of partying, a lot of running around, making money, and just not able to function emotionally, though. Like... I, I couldn't I couldn't handle anything and I was like losing it in New York I was losing jobs I couldn't book clients for a while I had to like start over again and that was really shameful for me because I knew it was because of me but I also didn't I wasn't ready to admit it was because of me and I certainly was not ready to admit that it was because of the alcohol I thought my clients are assholes like my bosses my managers you know and asked they're not managing me right so I have to fire you now um, all, just any excuse that I can make up. I, I started thinking like, what am I going to do with myself? And so I started taking like little trips here and there out of the city. I would just take off for like a weekend or a month or whatever. And when I was away, I wasn't drinking or using. I was actually sober for the most part. I would maybe have a cocktail here and there, but I was mostly sober. And I thought, again, if I can go away and be sober on this trip and then come back, New York is the problem. I'm not the problem. Living in New York is what's really fucking me up right now. So I did the ge geographic change. I decided I want a normal life. I want a slow-paced life. And I'm going to move to Austin because it felt like the country for me. And I was like, I'm going to move to Austin. And I'm going to be a teacher. And I'm going to be normal for the first time in my life. And that's it. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And I did it. I moved to Austin. In three months, I was dating a drug dealer, as usual. Um, and we were just absolutely insane together. Like, the level of dysfunction in my life went from really bad to just completely chaotic. 
I mean, we were always using, we were always drunk, we were always high. But again, I did the comparison thing. Like, you're worse off than me. You drink before work. I don't. I'm better than you. You eat pills and snort pills all day long. I wait till I get home. <laughs> I'm better than you. Like, I really thought I had it all under control. I really thought, like, I'm managing because if, if you're this and I'm not that, then I'm, I don't have a problem. I definitely don't have a problem. But again, every day emotionally, it was like I could not handle life at all. I could not handle life on life's terms. For, for the, I, I just couldn't. I didn't know how. I didn't even know where to begin. And it always felt like, even in my childhood, it felt like everybody else had this like secret manual on how to live life. All my friends were stable. You know, everybody was like getting married and having babies. I didn't want anything, anything to do with that. But like the level of stability in their life was something I was very envious of. I felt like everybody just knew what to do and I didn't. And so my way of handling it was like, well, fuck it, I'm gonna go party, you have a boring life. I don't, I'm gonna go do this now. I'm gonna jump on a plane and take off. Um, and so I, I had this like superiority complex because of that. My 30s in Austin are kind of a blur. Um, I, I stopped doing coke, I stopped taking pills. So again, thinking like, my life is manageable. I have my shit under control. But I, I hated myself. I absolutely hated myself. I hated waking up. I remember there being mornings that I would wake up and just cry because I woke up. But then feel like, again, nothing can stop me. Like, I just drank this much the night before and I'm still alive. I would come home, I would drive all the time drunk with like the window open you know, so I can get fresh air, one eye, and I was like, we'll see what happens. It was like, everything was like a game of Russian roulette. Like, let's see how far I can push this. And that was since I was a kid, even in my 20s, when I was like drinking and using, like, it, it was always like, how much blow can I do tonight and wake up the next day? And it was like always a test. It was always this game. And I didn't have a suicide plan, but I certainly didn't care if I woke up the next day or not. So in my 30s, I was in this relationship. It was really toxic. It was really abusive. And I thought, that's just how life is. Like, this is the hand that I was dealt. I, there's no getting out of this. Like, my mom was in a fucked up relationship. Her mom was in a fucked up relationship. This is just how it is for us. So is it, there is no trying. That's how it felt. There is no trying. Um, I, I, I quickly, around six years into that relationship, realized like, I hate myself, I hate my life, I hate every, I, I just hated everything. And I, I started doing pills again. And around that time, I was just, whatever pill I can get my hands on, I was just taking and just drinking all the time. And I, I don't remember what happened, but I remember my boyfriend and I had this like awful fight and he, we were just like ghosting each other. He wouldn't speak to me, I wouldn't speak to him, and I was losing my shit. I was losing my mind. I had this like desperation in my body. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't even get drunk. I was going out every single night trying to drink, trying to get drunk, and I couldn't get a buzz. And I was like, I'm in hell. I'm in hell, I just wanna get fucked up, and I can't get fucked up. And I said, all right, tomorrow, 
I'm just gonna call this guy, get some drug, like get whatever coke I wanted to get. And I was like, I already had his number. I was like already texting like, oh, hey, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. Like that whole stupid thing. Um, and, <laughs> Cause that's how I talk to my drug dealers. Um, but I was like already lining it up to go pick up the next day. And something came to me and said to reach out to my therapist. And now at this point I had been in therapy for a year and I, was not honest with my therapist. I was talking a lot. I was going every other week on schedule. I was drinking afterwards, but I wasn't telling, anytime she touched on the subject of how much I was drinking, I quickly reverted it to somebody else. I'm like, oh, I drink a little bit, but my boyfriend, let's talk about how much he's been drinking or using, or my dad, or I, I just, I always deflected. And I called her and I said, she, she I was like, hey, do you have, you have an appointment available any availability she's like yeah i have an appointment tomorrow two o'clock so i said okay i'm not going to get fucked up beforehand i'll just do whatever i want to do after and i remember i walked into my session and i got honest for the first time and for the first time i told her how much i had been drinking and how i couldn't get drunk that week and i was like i don't i didn't know what was going on and i said i was like i feel like i'm losing my mind like i feel like this is what it feels like to snap. And I don't know what to do with myself anymore. And she said, okay, I'm gonna tell you what you have to do. I'm gonna see, we had a, our next session scheduled for that Tuesday, it was on a Friday, May 31st. And I was gonna see her on Tuesday. She said, before I see you on Tuesday, you have to go to three AA meetings. She said, I don't care if you go in one day, I don't care how you space them out. I don't care if you drink, I don't care what you do, but you have to go to three AA meetings. And I was like, yeah, fine, done. But what am I doing? Like, how do I fix this feeling inside of me? She's like, we'll talk about it on Tuesday. I walked into Westlake and I remember I sat in the middle of the room and I fucking just cried the entire time. And all the women were wonderful and they were like surrounding me and hugging me. And all I thought was like, get away from me. Like, don't touch me, don't talk to me, just ignore me. But at the same time, I didn't want to be ignored. Like at the same time, I really wanted that connection because I never had it. Like I came from a family where my mom was too busy about my dad. My dad was too busy about his drinks. My sister was out of her mind. I pretty much raised myself as a kid. And so I wanted to be taken care of. Like I wanted somebody to be like, are you okay? And I wanted to have the ability to say no. Um, flipping out and I don't know what the hell to do with my life anymore and I'm in an AA meeting and I don't know what that means because I didn't know what that meant am I, am I an alcoholic like have I always been I didn't know what it meant and so but I was incredibly defensive and like literally just pushing people away from me I sat through the meeting the next day I went to Western Trails and I don't know if you know him but Champagne, Champagne Wayne was there and he called on me and he was like what's your name and I was like Jen and he was like, are you an alcoholic? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, so you just come and hang out in AA meetings? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, why don't you talk to me after the meeting? I was like, fine. And I, I sat there with a hat on, just crying, 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 crying. And after the meeting, I went over to him and I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing here. And he's like, well, what's going on? And I was like, I drink a lot. I can go a couple of days without drinking, but I'm just thinking about my next drink when I'm not drinking. I said, I can't sleep, I'm like, my skin is itchy and I'm sweaty and I'm cold and I'm hot and I think I'm getting the flu and he was like, how does your mood feel? And I was like, I, and I said, I was like, I feel like Jekyll and Hyde. Like I feel like I go through life and 
I could be fine and then something will set me off and I go into this rage and I want to like yell and scream and go off on people. And he opened up the big book to that page where he ta talks about Jekyll and Hyde. And I was like, what does this mean though? Like, am I an alcoholic? Just tell me if I'm an alcoholic. And he's like, you have to figure it out. My third meeting was here in Bolden. And I sat in the back and I remember the promises were being read. This is my third meeting. I'm hearing it three times. But for some reason, I actually heard it. And I remember crying because I was like, that's what I want. <coughs> I want everything that's being said in this thing. I don't know what this thing is, but all of that stuff. Like, I felt like that manual that I thought everybody had. I'm like, they're reading it. Like, this is the manual. Like, it exists and I want it. I want all these things. And... I never, I never stopped going to meetings at that point. Like, I just kept going. Um, I kept going. My bottom wasn't a bottom bottom. I probably had more bottoms in my, you know, drinking and using than I did when I first walked into a meeting. I have stories that I tell that I'm like, God damn, how did I walk out of that alive? You know, like, like how do you wake up in Boston? You know, like, how do you, like, like, like crazy shit. I, I had a lot of fucked up experiences I had, I'm not gonna lie, I had fun. I did have fun nights drinking, but every, every fucked up experience, every trauma that I experienced in life was always the result of my drinking or somebody else's drinking and that being imposed on me. Um, when I started coming to meetings, I was really resistant to getting a sponsor. I thought I could just read this, I'm educated, I have my masters, I'm good. I just gotta read this, memorize this, I'll get through it on my own. I don't need anybody's help. Um, I would get sponsors and then I would make up excuses of why I could have worked with them. My first sponsor, I was like, well, she's not a Latina and uh, I speak Spanish, so I can't work with her. It's like, how often are you speaking Spanish? So really, are you going to Spanish meetings? Like, no. So I just was made another woman. She was like, call me every day and here's this like little like this worksheet you're going to do and you're going to give that to me tomorrow. And I was like, I will not. <laughs> Never spoke to her again. Um, my third sponsor, don't even remember her, to be honest. I remember there was three. And then I remember just, I went home to visit my family. For me, that was a really bad move in early recovery. Um, I went home to visit my family, and I was white-knuckling it, and it was bad. And I had a really bad experience. My mom and I are like two bulls locking horns and at the time, not anymore. And I... I was losing my shit and I was trying to do the thing. I was like calling people, like I was texting people, I was reaching out. I'm like, this is what they told me to do and it's not working, fuck AA, it doesn't work, it's stupid, I'm gonna go to the bar. And I pulled up in front of the bar and I just sat there crying and I was like, oh, this always makes me sad, but I was sat there crying and I was like, I don't wanna go in because I know when I come out, I'm not gonna be the same person. For the first time in my life, I was actually like, learning who I am and like liking her like I was liking this woman I was like getting to know and at that moment somebody fucking called me and I was like just get me out of here tell me what to do I pulled out I didn't go in the bar and I remember I came back to Austin and I said all right you're gonna go to the woman's meeting which at the time I hated the woman's meeting and I was like you're gonna go to the woman's meeting and you're gonna either walk out with a sponsor or you're gonna go to the bar. That was it, those were my choices. And I came in and there was this woman sitting here and she shared 
And she was just really happy, but talking about really dark stuff. And I was like, you. (laughs) You're it. (laughs) Like, whether you know it or like it, you're it. And she got me through the steps. She got me through the steps. And, I mean, she taught me patience with myself. She taught me how to have patience with other people. Like, just because I pick up the phone does not mean you're going to be readily available to hear my shit. Um, She taught me how to pause when agitated. She was like, before you call me, you need to stop and figure out what you want to say to me because I don't want to hear your entire day. (laughs) And I was like, how dare you? Like, I have so much to say. You have to hear everything. And she was like, no, I don't. Like, I don't have to hear all this. I need to hear what you're doing for your recovery, what you need help in. And I was like, she, in a weird way, she taught me how to like identify my feelings. And I didn't ever know how to do that. And I had to, like, I had to come correct with her. She was not going to let me just, like, let me do what I want. Um, She she wasn't, like, the most emotional person. And that worked for me because it taught me how to kind of chill the fuck out a little bit. Mm -hmm. I knew I couldn't go to her with my craziness because she just wasn't going to have it. So I had to slow down a little bit. But I got through the steps with her. We moved through them. At times she was pushing and like she was like, you're not doing it. Either do it or like, like figure it out. But she got me through them. Um, the felt, you know, coming into meetings from where I came from, I came from a family where it was, it was pretty dysfunctional. And the only way people communicated in my family was by yelling and screaming at each other or throwing things. Um, and then coming into meetings and hearing people be open and expressive and telling their story in like a calm way, in a, with humor, it, it was a safe space. And it took me a minute to like get comfortable sharing. We were just talking about this before the meeting. Um, it took me a while to get comfortable sharing because I would hear people talk and everybody sounded so like intelligent and like prophetic. And I was like, my God, they're like fucking geniuses. Like everybody knows what they're talking about but me. And I remember I told my sponsor and I was like, I feel like I don't, she asked me, she was like, are you sharing? And I was like, no, I don't have anything to say. And she was like, you don't have anything to say about alcohol? Like, you don't have anything to say at all. And I was like, I guess. And the truth is I did have a lot to say and I wanted to be heard. I just didn't know how to do it. And she was like, just be honest. Like, just be honest, just share what you feel, just be honest. And. I always thought I was an honest person in my life. I always thought because I would yell and call you out and tell you about yourself that I was honest. And the truth is that I didn't know how to be, I could tell you about you, I could do it at any point, but I didn't know how to be honest about myself, my thoughts, my feelings or anything. And sharing in meetings taught me that. It taught me how to just be honest and connect with myself in that moment, like on a topic, on whatever I was going through that day. Like it taught me how to have a voice. Um, I, I, at the beginning I was doing like two, three meetings a day, but the 5.30 was my go-to. And the reason why the 5.30 was my go-to meeting, like that was like my non-negotiable, was because the old timers in that meeting, like they taught me how to feel safe around men. I had a lot of fucked up experiences with men, um, but like coming into the 5.30, it was like, it was such a safe space. I could just sit behind one one of the guys or beside them and I just knew like I don't have to worry. And like they I'm like forever grateful for that because that was the beginning of me learning how to like drop my guard. I used to just sit in that back chair against the wall. And then it was like I could sit a row over 
or I could sit on the side now, or I could sit here. I was able to like move around the room. And to me, that was like unheard of. Like I could never do that in my life when I was drinking or using because I was so on edge waiting for like this, the next thing to come at me. I was hyper vigilant all the time. And that 5.30 meeting taught me like, you're good, you're safe. Like you're good here. They would say hi to me and I'd just be like awkward at first, not knowing how to say hi back. But they taught me how to like, say hi to the person coming in the room. Um, fellowship was really difficult for me. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted to just talk to my sponsor and she did not allow me to do that. She made me make friends with people. She made me reach out to people. And I'm glad she did because really it's the fellowship that now that keeps me going. I recently had a surgery that had me bedridden and I couldn't, I couldn't focus on Zoom meetings, I couldn't get up, but I was like, people were reaching out and I just felt very taken care of in my sobriety, even in moments where I was like, felt like I wasn't really on it in my program. Um, even like being a sponsor, like that week, my sponsees were just kind of going through it a little bit and so they were reaching out a lot and I was like, oh thank God, like tell me everything that's going on in your day. like, and. I didn't realize like walking into these rooms just how how much I would rely on them to just keep me leveled. I just thought, you know, like all of us, I'm going to come in and I'm just going to get sober off of alcohol and that's it. And then I'll be fine. And I'll probably drink at, at some point again in, in my life. And now like where I am today, four years in, I have a spiritual practice. I have practices that I'm committed to. I don't do them perfectly, but I do them and they keep me connected to my higher powers. I, I go to meetings, I stay in contact with my sponsor and my sponsees, I, I stay in contact with other men and women in the rooms. That feeling of like, oh, I have to look over my shoulder, or oh, is he being weird? Or oh, the, like that constant questioning that I used to have, I don't have anymore. Um, I like who I am. And I never was able to say that when I was drinking and using. Like, I was arrogant, I was cocky, I was full of myself and I projected the air of like confidence, but internally I was so terrified and full of fear and anxiety. I didn't know how to do anything without, I just couldn't do anything. I didn't know how to do anything. I would fake it till I make it. And I did, I did that really well, but there was no like genuine anything to me. It felt like I felt hollow, but getting sober really taught me how to like appreciate being present in a situation, how to, how to, how to, how to show up, how to show up as like my authentic self. And I didn't think I was going to, it's funny. I didn't think I was going to learn that. I didn't think I'd ever be in a place in my life where I can say like, I like who I am now, but I, I do. And I am like, I, I like who I am. I like who I've become. Um, yeah, I, my, my story there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of ups and downs. Uh, I can get into the war stories, but I'm not going to, because really today, I don't have shame around those war stories. I don't have guilt around them anymore because I've gone through the steps and I go through the steps every year. My sponsor, who I have a different sponsor now, but we go through them every single year and I go through them on different topics. I've gone through the steps around relationships, I've gone through the steps on like living situations. Like I've, I go through the steps on different topics now and it helps me. Um, 
I, I do a first step regularly. Like whenever I start feeling that thing, like fuck, everything's fucked up or whatever it is, I go to like, all right, how is, how is this unmanageable? Like how is my life powerless in this moment right now? So I always go back to steps one, two, and three often. I pray regularly, I work with sponsees, but for me, the biggest learning lesson about myself doing the steps was learning my character defects. Like, like I said, I was able to call everybody else out on their shit but I wasn't able to call myself out. And so learning what my character defects are, learning how they pop up in my life and when, and taking that small pause just to be like, all right, what's the next right thing? And just trying to do the opposite. Like if I'm trying to be a bully or be egomaniac, all right, let's slow down and do the opposite of that. Like that was how I learned to take the tools that I was learning in the program and into my real life. So I don't go to meetings a lot. I've been trying to go more often. My program is not perfect, neither am I. But I'm not trying for perfection anymore the way I used to be. I used to think if I'm not perfect, I'm a piece of shit and I'm worthless and I don't feel that way anymore. So now I still take things one day at a time. I still pause when agitated often. And yeah, I try to hit at least two, three meetings a week. And that's my story. I'm Jen, I'm an alcoholic. Thank you. Thank you.